This is Voices of CX podcast. Join us as we continue our deep dive into customer value, the driving force behind every successful business. We're making the world a better place by helping companies deliver true customer value, one episode at a time. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, listeners and viewers of Voices of CX podcast. We are in season 10, reaching the final stretch of season 10, in fact. And today I am joined by Marbu Brown. I am going to let him introduce himself. I'm not going to steal his thunder or his moment. Marbu, can you tell our listeners about you, just kind of who you are, share what you are most passionate about and, and, and why customers are so important to you? Well, look, um, my career has revolved around being an advocate for customers. And, um, you know, when when we got to this notion of customer obsession, I became even more passionate about it because I see that it, it holds enormous potential for companies who want to go that far on the customer experience spectrum. But, you know, it's it's not for the faint hearted. You're going to have to do a few things that are going to make you uncomfortable, if you will. And, and so I'm passionate about, you know, helping folks get over the hump and, and really, you know, um, realize the potential of customer obsession. Right. So so that's that's what I'm passionate about. Um, you know, I've had the opportunity to to work in a few, um, you know, very special companies, um, if you will. Um, Just a couple you know, of mom and pop shops down the road, right, Marvo? <laughs> well, you know, Cisco Systems, Microsoft, Amazon.com, J.P. Morgan Chase. It's you know, I, I I've had the privilege of, of working in those places, and um, you know, I've been focused on the customer in all of them, right? And uh, so, you know, this this is just my passion, and I'm hoping to help other people tap into that and. Uh, you know, realize the potential of being customer obsessed. That's wonderful. So what inspired you to ultimately take all of your years of experience and learning at these tremendous organizations and compile them into a book? I mean, I know that, it, you know, it's it, it's kind of a way to to get it on paper and, and, and make something that's going to stick around for a while and that people can use as a playbook or, or a blueprint as you called it, right? But was there really a like a stronger motivator, something more than that that just drove you to putting all this knowledge on paper? Well, you know, it's interesting. I I remember exactly where I was when I first thought about this book. I was sitting on a plane reading somebody else's book, hmm. and I thought to myself, you know, I can write one of these. And um, here's the thing. There's, there's a lot of discussion about customer obsession, but not everybody means the same thing. And I had had, had an epiphany about um, customer obsession. And so the moment I thought about that, I thought, you know what? I need to start putting this down so that people can have a playbook to be able to tap into, right? And, uh, you know, a way to, to live this journey. And I've, I've had the privilege of living the journey and uh, want to give other people a playbook to be able to do so as well. So what would you say the difference is between companies that are customer centric or they focus on customer experience or they care about the customer 
and companies that are truly customer obsessed? Like, what would you say companies need to have in order to claim that they are customer obsessed, for it to become an obsession? So in the book, Blueprint for Customer Obsession, what I do is I lay out eight hallmarks of customer-obsessed companies, right? And one of the things that I also have in the book is something called the customer obsession continuum, where you know I kind of lay out in detail for people what, what companies look like all the way from companies that are customer indifferent, the customer aware, Customer focused, customer centric, and then customer obsessed. So, um, you know, we, there, there's a clear delineation between all of these different stages of uh, the, the customer obsession continuum. But let me say this if, if I was just to pick one thing, I'm, I'm going to tell you that customer obsessed companies are a little extreme. They do things that make other people scratch their heads. Hmm. And, um, you know, the interesting thing about those things is that when you look at them on the surface, they generally don't tend to make sense economically. Hmm. But when you look at the results these people have, it turns out it makes all the sense in the world, right? You know, one of the examples actually in the book is when Amazon first started putting out their um, customer reviews. Right. And some of the customer reviews are negative. Now, I'm going to give you a personal experience. I used to buy um, steel cut oats from Costco. Mm -hmm. Big bag, $7.99. And they didn't have some. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go to Amazon and buy these steel cut oats. And then I go on Amazon and I see the same Bob's Red Mill steel cut oats. And they're $17.99. I'm thinking to myself, is this the same size bag? Is this a bigger bag? You know, I'm looking at all this stuff. And so I decide, you know what? Let me check the, the, the customer reviews. The first review says, don't buy these on Amazon. <laughs> you can buy it at Costco for $7.99. Now, most businesses would actually take that, you know, like review down. Because yeah. it's basically telling people, don't buy it here. And, you know, when Amazon would post stuff like that and allow it to be out there, um, you know, people said to critics, said to Jeff Bezos, you don't understand your business. You make money when you sell things. Well, Jeff's response was, we don't make money when we sell things. We make money when we help customers make great buying decisions. Right. And, yeah, you know, um, you can have people. You, you can price gouge people or something like that, but those people aren't coming back, right? No. But when you have this type of a scenario where, um, you know, you, that review's out there, um, yeah, this time I'm going to go buy it elsewhere. But it also forces the Amazon retail people to start asking themselves, how come Costco can sell this for $7.99 and I'm selling it for $17.99? I got to do better to compete with them, yeah. right? Meanwhile, there's third parties who sell on Amazon, fulfilled by Amazon, right? Or just plain third parties. Maybe some of them have figured out a way to sell it for a lower price. And so, you know, so that actually, um, you know, that's what what customer obsession is. It's extreme, right? They're they're doing these things that, that other people look at and they scratch their head and they say, like, why they do that? Because it doesn't make sense economically, you know? Yeah. Um, on uh, Southwest Airlines, bags fly free. 
other people charge you for every bag that you're putting on or or they make it a frequent flyer perk or something, right? Um, so some people nickel and dime you for every little thing. They even want to nickel and dime you for whether you can put a, a bag in the overhead bin. Mm-hmm. And the experience isn't that great, but you get on Southwest Airlines, it's a great experience. Bags fly free. They make a profit. The other people struggle to make a profit. Like, what is wrong with that picture? Okay. Yeah. So, so these folks are doing the thing that is extreme, right? Yet it actually winds up, um, you know, working out for them economically, even though other people think of it as something's wrong, right? They, they won't go there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, so that's, that is like an indication of what customer obsession is all about. Right now, there's many more things that we have. Like I said, there's eight hallmarks, but that's one that we can use to kind of begin and anchor the discussion a little bit. Now, as you're speaking, you're talking about decisions that don't make sense economically. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, if a company has uh, a lot of cash flow or if they have uh, venture capital investment, for example, where they can afford to spend money that they may not be making because mm-hmm. they're projecting future growth, for instance. Okay. Then, then, then I can understand how that would work. But what if we're talking about an organization that doesn't have positive cash flow or that doesn't have a surplus in budget and, and, and they just can't afford to make these decisions that economically don't make sense because they're betting on long-term profit? So, you know, for if you if you think of the two day delivery for Amazon, that's not something that they delivered straight out the gate. That was something that they took years to build the structure, to build, to have the size, to have the money, to have uh, the capacity logistically to do. Right. So this is these are things that grew with the organization. And I would say that um, it definitely helped the company grow even more and consolidate their space in the market. But it's not something that they could have done earlier on. Earlier on, they were focused on much more micro experiences, perhaps, to build that loyal following to captivate the market. You know, what would you say in those cases? Well, let's let's think back a bit, because there was a time when Amazon wasn't the darling of Wall Street. Right. Okay. And, and people always used to talk about how Amazon didn't make any money. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, there was, there were people who would advise you not to invest in Amazon and so on and so forth. So, but, but customer obsession was a foundational principle for them from, from early on. So yes, they may not have delivered that right out of the gate, but there was a long period of time where it looked like they were losing money. Right. Mm-hmm. Or look, um, I mean, some of us don't remember the time that, um, Microsoft had to bill out Apple. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, my, my point is that Apple, in terms of its principles and, and how it has driven its business, okay, over time, those, those things have been foundational, right? And so, look, I'll tell you something that's interesting about Apple. Think about the iPhone when it first came out. The first year it came out, their goal was to sell a million iPhones, all right? It's not a whole lot. Now, here's the thing. When they went out, set out to make a phone, 
that phone, there was no requirement that it had to be compatible with the Mac, which was their best-selling you know, yeah. product at the time. Okay? Now it's compatible with the Mac, right? But in the beginning, all they focused on was creating a great phone, right? right? They focused on giving people a capability they didn't have. And, and I'll tell you, one of the things that makes customer-obsessed companies who they are is that they figure out how to give customers what they want before they know they need it, mm-hmm. right? And and, and so, so that's where they went to. They figured that out, how to give customers what they wanted before they even knew that they needed it, right? Um, but, but, you know, they were staying true to certain design principles and everything that defined Apple. And, you know, there were, there were some periods that were actually dry for Apple, but yeah. you, we don't even remember those anymore. Yeah. Right. So I, I will say that small businesses, they can't afford not to be customer obsessed. Right. Because, because when you, when you get so fixated on the bottom line and you don't realize that, hey, um, creating those connections with the customer and, and getting your customers not just to be casual consumers, you want them to be rabid fans, right? And the things you need to do to do that, that's what you need to invest in and that's where your money needs to go. And if you do those things, then you're going to see these incredible results that these other people have have been able to achieve, right? So that's how I think about it. For your company to succeed, customers need to find value in what you deliver. But companies and customers don't always see eye to eye on what's behind customers' perception of value. Worthix is the customer value alignment platform, helping companies like yours understand what really moves the needle for customers and your business. So you can do more of what matters and less of what doesn't. Visit worthix.com to learn more or request a demo. Discover your worth with Worthix. When you say rabid fans, it's it's interesting because I I normally think of people who are slightly unhinged, who perhaps <laughs> are not a an accurate representation of the customer profile of organizations. But they still tend to create some word of mouth. They they make the news. They um, they create uh, this idea for the rest of us who perhaps aren't so enthusiastic about things that hey, if someone out there is this fanatically obsessed with this brand, then there must be something that's motivating them on a deeper level, right? Absolutely. And, you know, you like you see. If, People who get tattoos of brand logos, like these people are crazy. Let's let, we can all agree on this. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you know, I don't actually have a picture in the book, but but you know, um, well, if you shop at Costco and you get the Costco connection, you you probably have seen the tattoos of of people, um, you know, uh, who who the are who have, the yeah, Kirkland logo and and stuff like that, you know, tattooed on their arms. I mean, um, yeah. Slightly unhinged, but look, <laughs> let me tell you one of the things I think about. I remember when Chick-fil-A first opened in Bellevue, Washington. That's like a suburb of Seattle. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a major traffic incident. You know, it's like um, 
the the uh, the lines were coming out of the drive-through, out onto the road, backing into another street and onto a highway ramp. So 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 they had to get police to come and solve this traffic problem. And you know, new restaurant, you figure this will go on for a couple of weeks or something like this went on for months. It went on for months, you know? And and so like they had to, you know, arrange for people to be able to park in the uh the hotel next door, their parking lot. <laughs> overflow you know. parking. Yeah, I mean like <laughs> overflow parking. You know, police are there waving people by. You you, you can't get on the line now. You gotta go around and you know, and people are going around and around and it's like, what's up with this, you know? And and so as they open some more uh locations, you know, it kind of eased up. But you gotta ask yourself, you know, what what makes people do that, right? And um, in fact, uh, one of the the, the uh, newspaper articles said it should have been a telltale sign to the police when there were, you know, people camping out in the parking lot before opening day. Right. It should have told them there's going to be a problem here. <laughs> OK, so, <clears throat> you know, this is um, that's that's not a casual consumer. Right. And there's a part of you that says. You know, when you see that, you say, even if I don't know anything about these folks, I need to go try that. I got to see what is drawing people to this place that, you know, makes them so, so fanatical about it. Right. Yeah. Isn't it interesting, this, this human element where when we see lines, when we see that excitement, it's so contagious and, and that's like the magic of the early adopters and the pool of influencers and how it, it makes us feel like we're missing out when, you know, you say you, the fear of missing out, it's real, you know, <laughs> yeah. because we think to ourselves, if people could submit themselves to this traffic jam, to these conditions, it must be good. It must be worth it. Exactly. It, or else people wouldn't be making these sacrifices. Now, Interestingly, you know, post-pandemic coming coming through into the 20s, what we see is there's so much more of shopping and let's say the retail side of customer experience that has gone digital, where mm-hmm. we no longer see this effect to the same degree. Would you say that the digital version of this is for things to sell out or those those raving customer reviews? What would you say is the digital digital equivalent of this Chick-fil-A traffic jam? Well, let's 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 talk about Zappos for a minute. Hmm. Right? Because uh, you know, Tony Shea, um, you know, the late Tony Shea, he was a visionary. He was inspirational. And one of the things he said was that early on, one of the things they decided was they were gonna take the money that they would have put into paid media. And they would invest in the customer experience. They would invest in customer service and let the customers do the talking, right? Yes. And, and so what happens with these online scenarios is that you may not see the lines, but you'll see the, vi- the viral posts yeah. and the viral videos and, and, and the conversations, right? I was looking at something the other day. There is a Southwest Airlines safety demonstration, okay? A customer recorded it 
and posted it on YouTube. It's got 27 million views. Another different one, also from Southwest, has 26 million views. How much, just imagine how much that would cost Yeah. in terms of paid media. It's almost impossible to replicate because there's no authenticity behind it. You know, that's right. And, and, and so, but the other thing about these kinds of things is these get told year after year after year. They get picked up in online stories. And, and so, you know, um, when people build their different top 10 lists of this and top 10 lists of that, some of these same stories, they keep reappearing. And as people see those stories, they're, they're saying, you know what, I got to try that. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so that's where I see this sort of stuff in the digital world that, um, <clears throat> you know, you, you see these um, these viral tweets, these, uh, you know, these viral posts on Facebook or Instagram, um, Pinterest, all this sort of stuff. You, you see them go viral. Right. And and so um, I, I think that's more of where you, you've, you're going to see this instead of the lines. Um, and uh, hey, the companies that are great at this, let's just say there's a lot of viral stuff out there about. Them. Yeah, that's it. Reminds me of so much, so much of Chewy. When I became a Chewy customer, they had no ads, none, zero. I didn't, I didn't see them through online advertising. I didn't see them through um, TV adverts. Um, I found out about Chewy through Twitter, and I'm never on Twitter. And I still found out about Chewy on Twitter. And uh, I, you know, I remember back then Chewy was a small company based in Florida. They were small and they made their marketing about the experience. The experience was the marketing and it was so efficient. And, And the reason that this is so fresh in my mind is because I just got a holiday card from Chewy in the mail, um, yesterday (laughs) And I I swear, even in this day and age, Chewy is the only brand that sends me and my dogs a holiday card, you know, <laughs> and and it's it's still, they still, even though they were acquired and they're now this big organization, and now you see ads, you see billboards, you know, you you tap into Hulu or something like that and you and you see a commercial on TV, but they still send you a Christmas card. You know, yeah, they still well- they still remember and they still care, you know? Yeah. Customer obsession is is a core core principle. And, yeah. you know, it's probably worth it for me to say that in the book, um, you know, I, I lay out 10 companies that, uh, you know, there's not too much argument about them being customer obsessed. Right. And, and Chewy's one of them. They're making a, an emotional connection with you. Yeah. And, and, and with that emotional connection, you're going to be back again. You're probably yeah. not just going to go to some other place because maybe the the dog food's a little cheaper, right? right. Um, so, you know, this is this is core to how they do uh, business. And look, they went from zero desert start in five years to become yeah. the largest retailer of pet food online, and you know, beating Amazon at that. Right. So that's why, you know, I've, I've done like a, a few radio interviews and stuff like that. And, and folks are asking me about small businesses. And I said, customer obsession is how small businesses become 
big businesses, right? You know, how Zappos became a big business, how Chewy became a big business, right? And they they had, um, you know, small beginnings, but, you know, look at what they became, right? Yeah. And um, so... So that's that's how it happens. And, um, you know, it's being true to this core principle of customer obsession. Now, how do you think these companies would do, Marbu, um, with changes in the market? I mean, we had this happen a couple years ago. Wow, we're talking about 2020 as a couple years ago. That's pretty exciting, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And there were a lot of companies that, that they simply could not adapt. Right. Mm -hmm. So how do you think that these companies, companies that are customer obsessed, how do you think they will react to changing customer expectations? Let's say they're really, let's say Chewy is really, really strong at delivering pet food to people's homes. What if something in the market changes and now everyone wants to go back into brick and mortar? Right. In the same way that that change from brick and mortar to online was so um, catastrophic for so many businesses. Let's imagine that if it, it were reversed, do you think Chewy would have the means to stay ahead of customer expectations and the changes and shifts in customer value? Or do you think that they would perhaps get left behind? And it's, do you think that this customer obsessed mentality is, is a guarantee that companies will be able to adapt to their changing customer expectations? So let's think about a few things for, for, for a minute, because I, I think it's fair to say that uh, from 2020 until now, we've been in a pretty disruptive environment. Yep. Right. I mean, you know, we, we've been, we, we've, we've kind of had one disruption after another. Oh yeah. And, I would say that for the most part, um, you know, the customer obsessed companies have fared pretty well. And, you know, um, in in a lot of cases, they have even done better. Right. Um, You know, a company like Costco gained, um, you know, they surpassed 100 million memberships, you know, um, over that period of time. Um, You know, the Chick-fil-A numbers, I mean, went off the charts, Um, you know, in uh, 2021, I think, their uh, per store revenues were like eight million. So you, you should stop and think about that for a minute because um, you know uh, it takes the revenues from a McDonald's, a Starbucks, and a Subway, you know, on a per unit basis to equal the unit revenues of one Chick Fil A, and their their numbers. Uh, it got even better. And the, the percentage of customers who are willing to pay 20% more to, to shop there increased, right? So companies have been able to, to weather the storm of disruption, um, you know, through the pandemic and, and all of the, the disruptions, you know, after that, right? And that's something that I think that is, um, you know, companies have to be built for that from a perspective of, of customer obsession, right? Um, but let's take the example you gave. Um, what if people want to shop brick and mortar versus, um, you know, online? Um, you know, people need to be able to have a multi-channel strategy, 
right? And sometimes that multi-channel strategy doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have your own physical presence, okay? Now, for example, um, you know, Amazon now has its own physical presence in a bunch of different ways. But even as that was beginning to evolve, they gave people the opportunity to return stuff at Kohl's, at UPS stores, at Amazon lockers. You know, they did a bunch of different things that enabled people to be able to have like, you know, that physical presence that they felt like they needed at certain times, right? And um, so that's the kind of thing where um, as a customer obsessed company, you got to see around corners. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to anticipate things that, that customers are going to need um, and, and be there before the customer even gets there. Because you don't want to be in a situation where you're falling short of delivering the customer expectations, right? And, and so I, I feel like, um, you know, these companies have, have weathered the storm of, um, you know, disruption extremely well. And there's a bunch of different kinds of interventions that people are making to be able to, uh, to weather that storm. If you've got feedback for the show, questions or ideas of what you want us to cover, or if you want to be a voice of CX yourself, we'd love to hear it. Send your feedback to contact at voicesofcx.com and tell us everything honest opinions, no holds barred. As you're talking, I'm thinking to myself about Amazon fashion and how they either developed in-house or acquired the technology to allow people to buy clothes while trying them on digitally. Mm -hmm. Um, So not only do they send you a couple of size options and and you return the ones that don't fit and, and they do that. And that's kind of the more a physical aspect of the shopping experience for people to buy clothes without trying them on. But they, they also developed this um, VR technology, AR, AR technology, where you set up your phone at a, at a certain distance and it, it calculates your measurements and concludes which size you should buy for that article of clothing. Or it, it, it provides you with a view of what that article of clothing would look like on your body and your body type. That blew me away because I had seen that done with makeup before. Sephora did that with makeup a couple years ago where you could try on a lipstick shade. You could try on a a color of concealer or foundation or something like that. But for clothing, I hadn't seen that before. And and this technology that measures out your body um, to allow you to digitally try on clothes. Phenomenal, phenomenal. And, and, And talk about finding new disruptive ways to stay on top of customers' new consuming habits, right? Absolutely. It's it's not only providing the alternative, but making it easy and and making it somehow a pleasure. So while I may not be the one buying clothes on Amazon fashion, my husband definitely is because that's good enough for him, right? So Amazon Basics is his go-to because he's able to try that on without the hassle of having to a brick, to go to a brick and mortar and and just have it delivered straight to his door. So, you know, Amazon isn't trying. I don't think they're trying to reach consumers like me when it comes to buying clothes, but they are trying to reach consumers like him 
where where that effortless experience is so crucial, right? And and it's it's pretty amazing. Well, look, having been on the inside, you, you you'd be surprised about where where um you know folks are trying to go because I, I got to tell you that that whole notion of think big, that whole notion of um, invent and simplify, and these are Amazon leadership principles. Um, constantly has people bringing new ideas to the table and, and they know that their ideas will get fair consideration and that sort of stuff. So look, one of the barriers that, that, that every online company is thinking about how to break through is um, that notion of how to give people something that at least approximates the notion of touching and feeling stuff, right? Um, that they would get if they walked into a, a, a physical store. Um, which is is a super hard thing to break through. But the question is, you know, you, you're seeing some of the kinds of stuff that they're doing to try to be able to get there, right? And uh, hey, um, I, I won't put it past them that there's more um, in the works because there's there there always is. Yeah. So it really being customer obsessed does then have to do with this constantly keeping up, constantly staying ahead, constantly innovating and bringing perhaps even just incremental innovation into the organization to stay ahead of customers changing needs. Absolutely. Um, you can't you can't stand still because customers expectations are moving. Yeah. Right. Customers expectations are not standing still. And um, if you're going to keep wowing them. You got you got to keep ahead of them, you know, and uh, so that that means that you're you're going to to have to be constantly inventing, and you've got to draw on your whole employee base, right? Um, to 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 be able to to make that happen, you know, one of the things that I I mentioned in the book is how, um, you know, people um, go out and they hire really smart people. But as soon as they walk in the door, now you're you're one of the group and it's like, you know, your your smartness is not necessarily as um, you know, revered as it was when you when you were being recruited. And so now you say things and um, you know, those things are not necessarily received in the same way as when you were on the outside. Yeah. Right? Um, but in customer obsessed companies, they don't fall prey to that. Okay. You know, and, and the other thing too, is that they allow outlandish stuff to come out, you know? And so you, you know, like Amazon had the, this thing called prime now where they were doing uh, deliveries in two hours. Okay. Instead of two days. Right. And, and that of course caters to a certain you know, um, type of need in certain types of markets. Yeah. And, you know, I can imagine many places where somebody would come with that idea into the room and other people would say, you got to be kidding me. Like, <laughs> what are you thinking? You know, and you just get laughed out of the room. But that was implemented and it, it actually, you know, um, went to market. And so, um, you know, I, I think about the times that Apple, you know, um, when they took, basically any kind of drive out of their computers. And people were thinking like, what's with these folks? You know? And Remember when they removed the jack and people lost their minds? 
Yeah. Thinking that it was the worst idea ever. And now the air, the, the AirPods are alone are bigger than most organizations on the planet. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, this is, this, this is the kind of thing that, um, you know, it's like, it's like staying ahead of the game. Yep. You know, um, look, Trader Joe's, um, you know, they always have these products in there that, that again, are ahead of the game. Right. And, and people go in and they try them and they taste them and then they swear by them. And then you can't Mm -hmm. get them anywhere else, but in Trader (laughs) Joe's. Right. I mean, it's like, you know, so um, you, you you can look at this across the spectrum for, you know, like like different different kinds of industries, even the industry that doesn't seem like the one that's, you know, like technology and, 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 and innovation and all that sort of stuff. But when the company is customer obsessed, they're constantly, um, you know, doing these types of things. Right. Um, so anyway, that's uh that I that that's actually one of those core things, you know, that that makes customer obsessed companies customer obsessed, right? And so let me just say this again in Blueprint for Customer Obsession, um, I lay out eight hallmarks. And we've kind of like touched on pieces of different hallmarks here and there. Um, you know, like, but I'm 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 gonna give you three that are kind of in the middle. Engage personally. Deliver exceptionally, connect emotionally. Now, some of the pieces that we've been talking about are subcomponents of that. Like giving customers what they want before they need it has something to do with engaging personally. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, innovating relentlessly has to do with delivering exceptionally, right? Some of the other things that we talked about like with uh, these types of moments with Chewy sending you, you know, a card, that's about connecting emotionally, right? Now, again, there's more stuff un- uh, underneath, but I think we've we've hit some very important points as we as we look at those. And hey, people don't remember anything; they remember those. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess. That blueprint for customer obsession is on sale at Amazon. I mean, people can it buy it there. It is on sale at Amazon. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, where, is, else, where else can people find it? How can people reach you if they want to continue this conversation, if they want to bring you into their organization to speak about these things? Well, look, people can reach me at customerobsession.net.net. So they, they don't make that mistake. They can reach me at customerobsession.net. And uh, that is where, um, that's the website for the Customer Obsession Advantage, um, you know, an organization that I've put together to, to help people, you know, drive customer obsession in their own organizations. Um, they can also reach me on LinkedIn. I mean, that's a platform where, you know, uh, we all as professionals are. And, and, and so they, they can reach me through that as well. Um, so th- those are a couple of places. Um, look, the, uh, the hard copy of the book is is uh, sold on Amazon.com, but they can also get the Kindle version. But you can also get, um, you know, the ebook on, um, you know, in the Apple Bookstore. You can get it on Barnes and Noble. So, um, you know, there's multiple different places where where you can get Blueprint for Customer Obsession. Oh, fantastic! Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Voices of the CX. 
Big thanks to Bill Stakos for making that introduction and having you come on here today. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you and to our listeners and viewers. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Marbu. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to join you on uh, on the uh, show. And uh, again, like you said, I hope everybody enjoyed it as much as we enjoy this conversation. And I hope that they picked up some nuggets that they can take and put to use right away. Um, and hey, they should feel free to get a hold of me and I'd love to continue the conversation. Fantastic. Thanks for listening to the Voices of CX podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Worthix. Discover your worth with the customer value alignment platform. We're helping the world's biggest brands align with their true customer value. Learn more at worthix.com. Episodes are produced and edited by myself, Steve Barry, and Ashley Alufahai. See you on the next episode.